I'm Bishop Sherman Young. Each week, the Word Break podcast answers questions about God, faith, and other spiritual issues. Here is this week's message. Chapter 1. If you would find 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to read an excerpt from a couple of places of chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians. As you're finding that, you'll remember that this is a difficult and challenging uh, portion of scripture because it's a personal letter. Of all the letters that we have in the New Testament, this one is the most personal of all because it deals with a man's trouble and trust. And I want to talk to you today about how those two things are related, trouble and trust, how they go together. It is true that faith is designed for the challenges of life, but it is also true that the challenges of life are designed to build our faith. And so they both play on each other, trouble and trust. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is writing a very personal letter describing a season in his life when death seemed like the better option as opposed to living. And he says to them, if you look at verse number 8, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, would you all say trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust, would you say trust? Yes, in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust, the word again, trust that he will still deliver us you also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many I'd like for you to go down to verse 20 same chapter when you go down to verse 20 you remember this verse for all the promises of God in him meaning Jesus are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Verse 21. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. I'll stop there in understanding this matter of how trouble and trust are connected how they are related. Now, as I've stated, this is a very personal letter. Um, really, you have 2 Corinthians because of 1 Corinthians. In the first letter he sent to them, he corrected them on personal and corporate issues that they did not like. So the letter in your New Testament called 1 Corinthians caused no small stir amongst the people when they got it. 
Paul had set up this church at Corinth and he had put everything in place before he left. Later on, after he left, he heard reports of things that they were not doing right. And so he wrote 1 Corinthians in an effort to correct some of those things. So it's the truth that he told that got him in trouble with them. You remember when you read 1 Corinthians, he addresses matters of division amongst them because it was there in 1 Corinthians he addresses the fact that some of them had their favorite preacher, he being one, Peter being another, Apollos being another, and they were only responding to the preacher that they liked. And so in 1 Corinthians he corrected them and told them that that's inappropriate but that we all in the ministry work together. Therefore, you should not be so in love with one preacher that you cannot hear the truth that another tells. It's in 1 Corinthians where he deals with the fact that they are babies in the way they handle their faith. So he talks there about some being carnal and others being spiritual. Carnal meaning fleshly or worldly in the way that you approach life. Spiritual meaning that you walk by faith. Carnal people walk by sight. Carnal people walk by logic. Those who are spiritual walk by the leadership of the Holy Ghost. It's in 1 Corinthians that he deals with the matter where a young man was shacking up with his stepmother. He had taken his father's wife from him. And he and that woman were living together um, openly in sin and the church said nothing about it he writes them in first corinthians and said that they were wrong to have not dealt with it that even those who are unbelievers wouldn't do such a bad thing and he says to them those people should be excommunicated or put out of the church until they repent and come back and do right so he deals with that matter of how the church did not handle that situation that was hurting the progress of the church. It's in 1 Corinthians where he talks about women in church that were out of control because they were embarrassing their husbands. They were shouting out in church, speaking in other tongues and languages. They were saying things that were inappropriate. Now, he doesn't deal with that in other letters because it was only a problem in the city of Corinth. So to Corinth, that's where he says, let your women keep silent. He does not say that to the church at Ephesus, Colossae, Thessalonica, Galatia. He only says that to the people at Corinth because their women had a problem. Number two, historically speaking, in Corinth in those days, there were cults being led by women. These cults were against the message of Jesus Christ. So he did not want unbelievers visiting a Christian gathering to get the idea that they were at one of the occult gatherings. So he said to them, tell your women to stay in order and don't try to be aggressive because we don't want the confusion in the community. So Corinth had a problem when it came to women getting out of order. It's also in 1 Corinthians where they were abusing the Lord's Supper in that church. 
So when they would come for what we call communion, they would bring an abundance of food and an abundance of wine, and everybody would party, and everybody would get drunk. And he had to write them in 1 Corinthians to tell them that that was out of order. He had problems with others in the church who were using their speaking gifts out of order, hijacking the service, cutting off the preacher, doing what they wanted to do to show off their abilities to speak in tongues and to prophesy. So he had to deal with all of that in that first letter. When the people got the letter, they got upset with Paul, as people do when you tell people the truth. They often get upset with you. When you tell people the truth, they often uh, retaliate by spreading rumors on you or gossip on you in order to attack your credibility. Well, they attacked Paul's credibility. Once they got that letter and they did not like what he corrected about the church, they put out things like some people said that he wasn't even called to preach. They said, you know, he wasn't even with the original 12 with Peter, James, and John, and Thomas, and Bartholomew. He probably called himself to preach, which was a lie. Then they put out that, well, he's only preaching for money. So that that's why he's saying what he said, because we haven't been sending him money and financial support. And so they accused him of being greedy for money. Then some accused his sexual habits because he had with him traveling Aquila and Priscilla, his wife, and they accused him of being bisexual. So he had all of these rumors that were going around where they were trying to discredit him. That's how you get to what we read today, 2 Corinthians. It is his letter of defense against those rumors. In 2 Corinthians, he says to them, I was called to preach. I was a man born out of due season. I was not with Peter, James, and John, but I'm telling you, the Lord appeared to me in a vision. And in that vision, the Lord carried me up into the third heaven, and there I was able to see him and hear his voice telling me to preach. He challenges what they said about money. He lets them know and understand that when it came to money, I didn't take your money. I was a tent maker amongst you, and I supported myself, and I still support myself, and I don't need your money. When it came to the personal life, he let them know that the Bible is clear on matters when it comes to sexuality and adultery. Let every man have his own wife, and he dedicates a, a group of verses to the fact that he was not perverted when it came to his personal sexuality. But now, chapter 1, you can see the tears in what I've read to you. Because he is getting into some very personal issues concerning his own trouble in life. About three chapters after this, he even tells them, you know, I've been beaten up three times left for dead. I've been shipwrecked over and over again. I've gone through a lot of personal things because of my faith. Can I get you to say this, please? Because of my faith. Say it again, please. What? Because of my faith. Faith gets you in trouble. Trouble follows people of faith. If you haven't gotten in any trouble, you must not have a good faith. 
because faith is always going to cause people to retaliate in some way. Faith is always going to cause people to come against you in some way. And his trouble is directly connected to his faith. All that he went through, all the struggle, all the suffering, all the rumors is directly connected to his relationship with God. Because the devil wants to steal your joy. The joy of your salvation. The joy of your walk with the Lord. The joy of the victories that you enjoy in life. The devil's ultimate goal is to steal that from you. To steal the beauty of your faith. To steal the peace of your faith. To steal the love that's produced because of your faith. His ultimate goal is to steal, kill, and destroy and Paul wants them to know here in chapter 1, he wants them to know that I had trouble. And my troubles are connected to my trust. And then so verse 8, the one I read to you, he says, he says this, we don't want you ignorant of the trouble we went through. Now, there are a lot of people that think that if I have a relationship with God, that that's going to keep me from trouble and keep trouble from me. It's almost as if they believe that their relationship with God is like a repellent that can keep trouble away. When the truth is, it doesn't keep it away, but it redefines it. When a believer has trouble... That's not the same as an unbeliever having trouble. A believer can use their trouble for triumph. A believer can use their trouble for progress. A believer can use their trouble for advance. In other words, trouble is fertilizer for your tree. And the tree is known by the fruit it bears. Trouble fertilizes my life. Trouble makes me better. Trouble makes me stronger. Trouble secures me. Trouble anchors me. Trouble is good. There is a good that comes out of trouble that you can't get any other way. How do we know that? Well, walk through the verse with me. He says, we don't want you ignorant, verse 8, of the trouble we had in Asia. Now, he doesn't dig into what the trouble was. But he does say this, that it was, it was awful. As a matter of fact, he, he doesn't tell us what it was, but we do remember in the book of Acts, him talking about some trouble, or Luke describing something that they went through in Asia. <laughs> he says in the King James Version, we had the sentence of death on us. Another translation says, we almost died. And another one says, we thought about suicide. Is there anybody in this room that's ever thought about suicide? Is there anybody here whose trouble was so bad you thought about suicide? Is there anyone here that will admit that your trouble got so bad that suicide seemed more attractive than living? That death seemed like an option to get out of the pain or away from the loneliness, or away from the bankruptcy, or away from the embarrassment, or away from the heartache, that it was, it was so hard to make it through the night, you thought about taking every pill you've got in your house. 
You thought about turning up the gas in the stove. You thought about taking the pistol and putting it to your head. You thought about ending your life. Over my life, I've had several friends that have committed suicide. I've had several acquaintances that committed suicide. Some of them was in the ministry, some of them were not. Some of them committed suicide because the doctor said the disease they had was incurable. And rather than be a burden on their family, it seemed that they thought I'd want to die on my terms rather than wait and go through suffering that can end up in death. I've known others that died because of spiritual pressure. There was a preacher that I once knew who was Presbyterian, but his wife was Muslim. And the spiritual pressure in the household drove him to make a decision to end his life, and he killed himself. There was another friend that I had that was a Baptist pastor and a leader of the churches in his area. He had raised nine girls, he and his wife together. And those nine girls got grown and moved out, but like children can do, they turned around and moved back in. And so now he had three or four of them back in. They had their own children. And under the family pressure of hearing fighting all day long, screaming all day long, disagreement all day long, nobody ever satisfied, nobody ever happy, everybody always angry, everybody always loud, he overdosed on pills. Suicide. Suicide, And you know, in this day and time, it's more trendy than ever before. There are high schoolers that think about suicide. I pastored in one community where the seniors in the high school, many of them had come together in a group and made a pact, a suicide pact. And they'd all agreed to kill themselves. And the pact was not discovered until after the third one had done it. And then they realized in the school system that these young people had made an agreement to kill themselves. Paul said it was so hard we thought about suicide. And in a gathering of this size, somebody here has been to that point. Somebody here has attempted it. And somebody here has planned it, but you didn't go through with it. The divorce was so hard. The financial obligations were too heavy. The pressure of life was too much. But on the other side of all of that, the devil was taking advantage of your trouble. You see, the devil is always searching for the weak area and the weakest one. I wish I had a witness. When God asked Satan in the book of Job, where have you been? He said, I've been walking up and down in the earth looking for somebody to jack up. I've been looking for somebody's life to mess up. I've been looking for somebody that I could seduce because the enemy is always looking for the weakest one. The Bible said in the New Testament, Peter said, your enemy, the devil, is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The lion is the king of the jungle, but he walks on cat feet. He is ferocious. He is dangerous. But when he comes along, he can tiptoe.
toe up on you and you don't even know that he's right behind you. And Satan is that way. He comes in when you're weakest. I wish I had a witness. He comes in when your eyes are filled with tears. He comes in when you doubt whether you're being productive in life. I'm 45 years old and ain't got nothing to show for it. I'm 60 years old and I've been nothing but a failure. I've lost job after job, relationship after relationship. I've been broken down and down and down again. I've been down so long I don't ever think I can get up. That's when the devil appears. And that's when he comes in and suggests that you kill yourself. Paul said we had trouble. Again, would you say trouble? Would everybody say trouble? Because here we've got a man that had trouble, but he's not in trouble because he's stolen something. He's not in trouble because he killed somebody. He's not in trouble because he's violated some law. He's in trouble because he's done good. And that's the hardest kind. You know, when you know you've done wrong, you can handle your punishment. But when you ain't done nothing wrong, does anybody know what I'm talking about? When you've done your best to do right, I wish I had just anybody. When you've done your best to get it right, and you still end up in trouble. He said, but listen, I want you to understand that the trouble we had was for a few reasons. When you look at it, he said, we don't want you ignorant of it. We want you to understand that the trouble that we had taught us that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God. What does trouble do? It points out your weakness. It points out your inability to handle your own situation. It points out that no matter how smart you are, no matter how wise you are, no matter how wealthy you are, no matter how educated you are, it points out that you need God. So I said we had trouble, but that trouble that we had showed us that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God. Can I get the church to say trust? The same Greek word where we, the word trust comes from is the same word where we get the term body slam in wrestling. In a wrestling match, you have two opponents. And one opponent hoists the other up and slams that opponent to the canvas. That's where we get the word trust. I said in a wrestling match. You know, Paul says when it comes to the devil, we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. He does not say we box, but we wrestle. You know, in a boxing match, you can go a whole round and never touch your opponent. Or you can go a whole round and never damage your opponent. But in a wrestling match, there's never a moment when the opponents are not touching one another. In a wrestling match, when you've got two men wrestling and the referee blows the whistle, they grab one another. Now, some of the men in this room are old enough to remember when we had P.E. in school. And in physical education, they taught us football. Come on now. They taught us basketball, but they also taught us wrestling. And in wrestling, one man would get on his hands and knees. Anybody remember that? 
the opponent would get on his knees and wrap his arm around his opponent. And once one man was on the other man, then the referee or the coach would blow the whistle and the wrestling match began. When you're talking about spiritual warfare, it is always a wrestle. You know, there is never a time, never a time when you're not in opposition in spiritual warfare. It's a wrestling match. And in that wrestling match, there is always touching. There is always force. There is always a struggle between opponents. But in the body slam, when both men get up, one man hoists the other up and slams him down. You've never seen a body slam in slow motion. You've never seen a body slam done easily. It is always quick. It is always aggressive. So when Paul says we were taught to trust in God, he, we were taught to slam ourselves against God. Now, when you're young in faith, you don't know how to do that. When you're young in faith and you're going through trouble and you're going through trial and you're going through tribulation, when you're going through a struggle, when you're young in faith, you have to learn how to trust God. You see, belief is trust as a baby. When we talk about trust, we're talking about mature faith. We're talking about faith with gray hair. We're talking about faith fully developed. To trust God means that you know him so well that when trouble comes, you will slam yourself against the promises of God. Without hesitation, without questioning, without thinking about it, without overthinking, when trouble comes, a person who's mature in faith will slam themselves against what God said. Now, before I knew better, I would have to get convinced that God was going to bless me or God was going to deliver me. But as you grow in your spiritual walk, you get to the point that it is immediate. You get a pink slip on the job or you get a letter in the mail or you get a phone call or a text you weren't looking for. You know what you do if your trust is where it ought to be? You immediately default. To the word of God. You don't call five or ten people. You don't tell everybody you know. And then finally get to one person and say you know uh, I need you to pray for me. You will immediately turn to God. Now how many of us in this room can say. How many of us can say whenever any bad news comes I immediately turn to God. Most of us turn to our best friend. Then we go to God. Most of us turn to a relative. Then we go to God. Most of us think about what we can do to alleviate the situation. Then we go to God. But God wants me to be so caught up into him, not in my feelings, not in my fear, not in my friends, and not in my family. I wish I had a witness. I said, not in my fear. Not in my friends, not in my family, but God wants me to be so caught up in him. Not in my feelings, but in my faith. Because faith has to be matured. Faith has to be 
full-blown. Faith has to come to full strength. For example, Jesus said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed. He didn't say like the grain. He said as the grain. That means you have to study the seed to see what it does. The mustard seed starts off the smallest of all seeds. You can hold it in your hand. It's very small. But once you plant it in the ground and it does what the seed is supposed to do, Jesus said it becomes the largest tree in the forest. Faith starts off small, huh? Faith can be so small a four-year-old can have it. We can give the invitation to Jesus today and a four-year-old can come down and say, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. That's how small faith can be. Faith can be so small that a four-year-old can give their heart to God and God saves them right here in front of us. But that faith in that four-year-old can't stay the same size as that four-year-old grows. As the four-year-old grows, the four-year-old's faith should grow. I wish I had a witness. So that by the time the four-year-old becomes 40, his faith is not only in God's saving him but God healing him God delivering him God prospering him God blessing him God opening doors for him God taking care of him God feeding him God leading him God guiding him God directing him and maybe the problem is that there are too many 40 year olds with the faith of a 4 year old I don't have a witness See, the reason we come to church is so that we can get instruction on how to apply our faith on what's going to happen to us tomorrow. Let me try that again. I could use a little more energy coming from some of y'all. I said the reason we come to church is so that we can get instruction on how we can use the faith that we hear about today on the situation that happens to us tomorrow. See, faith is like mayonnaise on a bologna sandwich. It makes the sandwich taste better. I wish I had a witness. Now, whether you're using mayonnaise or Miracle Whip, a little sauce on it sure does make it taste better. Now, some of you are like my son. My oldest son can't stand any kind of sauces. He eats barbecue ribs with no barbecue sauce. I don't know how he does that. He eats hamburgers with no ketchup. I wish I had a witness here. Now, y'all know the barbecue sauce makes the ribs better. Do I have a witness? As a matter of fact, for some restaurants, it ain't the ribs that make the ribs sell. It's the sauce they put on the ribs. Now, if you're going through life with no sauce on your sandwich, you're going through life with no mayonnaise, no miracle whip, you still got to eat the sandwich, but it don't go down as smooth. The reason we come to church is so that we can get the word in order that when we meet the world tomorrow, we will put the word we learn on Sunday to the mess we meet on Monday. 
the trial we meet on Tuesday, the war we have on Wednesday, the trouble we have on Thursday, the fear we have on Friday, the sadness we have on Saturday. Tell your neighbor, I got a secret sauce. Now listen, Colonel Sanders came out with fried chicken. Now everybody's selling fried chicken. But I know somebody in this room is like me. You remember when they used to advertise Kentucky Fried Chicken and they said it was finger licking good. I'm the only one. You remember that, Lewis? It would stick to your fingers. Anybody remember that? It stuck to your fingers. I mean, you'd have to scrape the chicken off your finger with your teeth. God, I wish I had a witness. I'm about to get hungry myself here. But understand, it was the secret ingredient. Now, I don't know what happened to that because it sure don't taste like that now. But, 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 but listen, it was the secret ingredient. Can I tell you what keeps me going? Because I get bad news just like you do. Can I tell you what keeps me going? Because I have trouble just like you do. Can I tell you why? You don't see me down at the altar with my hands up screaming and crying, asking God to help me. You think it's because I don't have trouble? Oh, no. It's because I got a secret ingredient. What I got sticks to your fingers, sticks to your heart, sticks to your soul. When I get the word, I don't let it go in one ear and come out the other ear. I hold on to it for a needed time. Well, you're about to make me shout. Hold on, I'll be with you in a minute. Listen, you got to have the secret sauce. And he said, we trust in God who has delivered us. Say, has delivered us. I'm, I'm going to get through in a minute. He said, he does deliver. Say, he does deliver. And he will yet deliver. Say, he will yet deliver. Past, present, and future. See, you got to have the kind of trust that says, I know God will because of what he did. I know God will because of what he's doing. And I know God will because I know he will. It's not enough to say, I believe he will. God, I wish I had a, I wish I had a witness. Don't you get sick of folk. Y'all sit down, I'll be through in a minute. Don't you get sick of folk that say they're going to do something and they don't do it. You ever had anybody say they're coming over to the house and they don't show up? And they got nerve enough to text you, I'm on the way. You put your whole day on hold waiting on them and they don't come. Now after they do that three times, by the fourth time when they tell you I'm on the way, what do you do? You say, oh shoot. They ain't coming nowhere. You go get in your car and go on where you going. Why? Because they never keep their word. God is not a man that he can lie. 
God cannot lie. If God said it in the book, it is so. I said if God said he'll do it, it's as good as done. See, listen, when God said let there be light, light was. Huh? He didn't have to wait on Alabama power to put him on the schedule and say I'll be there Wednesday sometime between 10 and, and 2. No, when God says it, it is so. You know why? Because it was so before he said it. I don't have a witness in. Whatever God said he will do, honey, he's already done it. He ain't promising you what he's going to do. He's announcing to you to cash in on what's already yours. I got a check. You know, I had a flood at the house. I got a check from my homeowner's insurance. I put the check in the bank. And, and Lightning, you know what the, they said to me at the bank? It'll be four days before it clears. Four days. I need that money now. What did they say on that commercial? It's my money. I need it now. Four days. Well, four days later, it cleared. I got the second check. I took it to the bank. Now, I'm going to tell you, the first check I took to the drive-thru. And the lady said through the window, oh, sir, it'll be four days before this clears. I put a statement in there with the receipt so that you'll know that. Well, you know me. I said, four days. I just said four, F-O-U-R. Four days. A month later, I get the second check, Reginald. But I need to go inside the bank this time to take care of some other stuff. I'm in the bank with a larger check for the repairs than I had before. I'm going to take the lead. When I deposit the check, I said to the teller, well, I know it's going to be four days before it declares. She said, no, this money will be available in the morning. I said, it'll be available in the morning. She said, yeah. I said, but you told... You told me, you, somebody told me four days. She said, yeah, but sir, I know you. And because I know you, I'm, I've already taken the hold off the check. So the money will be ready in the morning. I wish I had a witness here. When you know God, and when God knows you, you don't have to put a hold on the promise. You don't have to wait until tomorrow. He'll do it right now. It's due right now. It's cleared right now. The door is open right now. The miracle is yours right now. Taylor, my mistake was the first time I took it to the window. You know why? Convenience. Honey, you better stop trying to make God convenient. I wish I had a witness here. 
you might as well stop trying to make like, well, I know God will fix it because I'm his child. I've been in church a long time. Mama raised me up in church. Listen, mama may have, daddy may have, but you got to have faith for yourself. You got to have a relationship with God for yourself. You got to know that you know what you know. And you got to know that he will because of relationship. Relationship. 